Hello and welcome to Diving Into Diabetes, the podcast where we explore the latest advances and best practices on individualized diabetes care. I'm your host, Dr. Ron Goldenberg, and with me on the program today is Dr. Michael Riddell. Uh, he's a professor at the School of Kinesiology and Health Science in the Faculty of Health at York University. Uh, importantly related to our topic today, he has a long-standing career researching the relationship uh, and issues around exercise in diabetes. And our topic for today is to discuss some important issues related to exercise in type 1 diabetes. So let's get started. And first of all, welcome, Dr. Riddell, and thanks for joining us today. Hi, Dr. Goldenberg. Uh, it's a pleasure to be here to, to chat with you about exercise and, and diabetes. Yes, and you know, exercise in our patients with diabetes uh, is obviously an important uh, issue that healthcare providers need to be uh, aware of and know how to counsel their patients because we know uh, anybody uh, should exercise for uh, achieving optimal health. But when it comes to diabetes, how much exercise should these individuals get and what type of exercise? Because we've heard there's aerobic exercise, resistance training. One of the buzzwords in exercise is high-intensity interval training. So you can just uh, maybe tell our listeners about the type of exercise that people should get and how much exercise. Sure, yeah. Various guidelines like the American Diabetes Association recommend 150 minutes per week of accumulated physical activity or exercise. That, that might sound like a lot, but it really means about a minimum of 20 minutes a day of, of physical activity. Um, and that activity can come in all sorts of different forms. It could be Things like walking, jogging, and bike riding, which are predominantly aerobic in nature, using the heart and lungs to, to get you around. But we also uh, add this prescription of some resistance exercise to those guidelines. So two or three days per week, we should be lifting some sort of weight. Body weight is fine. Weight machines is also good, or TheraBands, elastic bands, to provide some resistance to the muscles it is quite uh, advantageous. Almost additive, the, the more you add the resistance training, the healthier uh, and more fit you can become. And then with other activities like high-intensity interval training, it, it appears that you can commit a little less time to, to doing these more vigorous activities. You might get away with just 10 or 15 minutes of very intense exercise after a, a warm-up. And doing these interval-type exercise sessions have also been shown to provide lots of health and fitness benefits in diabetes and it, and it seems to be relatively safe for, for patients who don't have underlying cardiovascular complications or, or neuropathies. Great. So, yeah, we don't have to turn our patients into marathon runners or uh, elite athletes, moderate, regular exercise uh, of probably any variety is beneficial to their health. But when it comes to down to type 1 diabetes, there's always this concern around glycemic management particularly related to exercise. So there's the issue and fear of hypoglycemia and also the possibility of hyperglycemia. So maybe we can dissect that topic a little bit more. And, you know, you were the lead author on a 2017 consensus statement on exercise and type 1 diabetes. So I'm going to ask you uh, uh, to provide some practical tips, uh, a lot of which was in that consensus document. 
So you have type 1 diabetes and you're managed either on a insulin pump or perhaps multiple daily injections. What would be a safe glucose level before you go into some uh, regular exercise? In those consensus uh, guidelines, we certainly do recommend that glucose is just a little bit above what we would call a normal concentration. For those of us living with type 1 diabetes, the pre-exercise glucose should be around 7 millimole or around 125 milligrams per deciliter. That provides a little bit of a buffer when you start particularly aerobic exercise because aerobic exercise tends to lower the sugar in type 1 diabetes. Now, if you're doing resistance exercise first or high-intensity interval training, you can start that exercise with a little bit of a lower glucose, maybe around 5 millimole or 6 millimole, somewhere around 110 milligrams per deciliter. So it really depends on the exercise that you choose to do uh, first. In fact, many of us living with diabetes might have a pre-exercise blood sugar that's quite a bit higher. Let's say I test my glucose with a a glucose monitor, I look at my CGM and my glucose is sitting at around 9 millimole. That means that I can start aerobic exercise with some confidence that it's likely going to drop. And that's fine. If my blood sugar is on the lower end, uh, I might need a snack before exercise if it's aerobic, or I could choose to do high-intensity interval training. So if you if you understand what your glucose is going into the exercise, it, it sort of sets you up for maybe choosing the activities that'll keep your glucose in a nice, safe range. And in those guidelines, we're kind of hoping that people can stay between, you know, 7 and 10 millimole, but it's hard to do, you know, depending on what we've eaten, how we've taken our insulin and the intensity and duration of those activities. So we provide some flexibility in those guidelines. And I gather there's individual variability. So everybody that starts an exercise program can kind of see what happens to their glucose level according to the various exercises that they do. But then, you know, there's this fear of hypoglycemia, either during or in the day following exercise. So what are the, some of the practical tips for adjusting, let's say, first of all, the bolus insulin, the one before exercise, uh, or even the background basal insulin? Now, what can you tell to our listeners about that? Sure. So if you're going to do a predominantly aerobic exercise, after a meal that contains bolus insulin, whether you have type 1 or type 2, you really should reduce that bolus insulin. So let's say the exercise is going to be roughly an hour after a meal, you would reduce that bolus insulin at the meal before exercise by about 50%. So instead of taking, let's say, eight units before the meal with exercise, you take four units. That's a good starting point. And as you, as you said, Ron, there's a lot of variability around that. So some patients might find that they need a bit more insulin, some a bit less, uh, if, depending on what their glucose is doing during that aerobic exercise. The basal insulin for those on multiple daily insulin injections can also typically be reduced. So if you're going to be exercising in between meals or before a meal, we do recommend to lower the basal insulin. And it, it does depend which basal insulin you're on, however, if you're on, let's say, uh, U100 glargine insulin, you might lower it by 20% or so. If you're on a very long-acting, ultra-long-acting insulin like a U300 glargine, you may be able to lower that a little bit, but it could cause your blood sugar to be a bit higher at other points of the day. So that's where it becomes a little bit trickier. You might lower it uh, by 20%, let's say, if you're going to have a series of active days 
you're going on a hike, going on vacation, you know you're going to be more physically active. With, with, in those situations, you can lower that, that basal insulin, that ultra-long-acting insulin, by around 20 25%. So I hope that provides some clarity on a pretty complex topic. Yeah, I think that's a pretty simple guidance and certainly a good start. But again, tell patients to check their glucose before and after exercise and then make appropriate adjustments. And what about simple advice about carbohydrate intake before or during prolonged exercise or even in the hours following exercise? Yeah, that's a great point. For endurance uh, activities, let's say that you have uh, an athlete with, with type 1 or an active person with type 1, they're going to need some carbohydrates if their activities are you know, an hour or more in duration. You need that carbohydrate for performance, for energy. And so you might have an endurance athlete with type 1 who's consuming up to 60 grams per hour of additional carbohydrate that they're not taking insulin for. That's a lot of carbohydrate for most patients, but for some, it's the right, it's the right amount. If they're endurance cyclists or, or runners, maybe they're training for a half marathon or a marathon. For most patients who are not at that level of, of activity, they might only need 10 to 15 grams of carbohydrate, additional carbohydrate to get them through their 45 minute walk or their, or their exercise that, that might not be endurance performance related. So again, it varies a little bit on the type of individual it is. If it's, a, if it's for performance, then you might need a bit more carbohydrate. If it's just to prevent hypoglycemia, 10 to 15 grams might be sufficient. Some of our research suggests that you could exercise as long as you've turned down your basal insulin a little bit, you could get away with 10 grams an hour. If you haven't turned that insulin down, though, you might need quite a bit more, maybe 30 to 50 grams an hour. And I okay. hope that does provide Another, a little bit of clarity. That's fantastic. Top line summary, we want individuals with type 1 diabetes to exercise, make appropriate uh, adjustments to your bolus and basal insulin, be aware of carbohydrate intake, and it can be done uh, safely and effectively. So I wanted to change gears for the last few minutes and talk about some exciting data that came out of the American Diabetes Association scientific uh, sessions in uh, June of this year. Uh, and the uh, first study that caught my interest is one that you were actually co-author on. It was called the T1-DEXI study. And we've been discussing in this podcast series the fact that time and range on CGM is becoming a very important outcome in uh, diabetes studies. Uh, but there has been very little data on time and range related to exercise. But I was quite excited to see the T1-DEXI study that looked at uh, time and range in type 1 diabetes patients uh, doing exercise. So can you briefly tell us about the design of the study and what they actually found? Sure. Uh, the T1-DEXI study recruited over 500 individuals, adults living with type 1 diabetes. And we provided uh, these study volunteers with exercise videos. They could do 30-minute exercise videos. They were uh, randomized or allocated into either doing aerobic exercise high-intensity interval training or resistance training, about a third, a third, a third um, in that study design. And when we gave them CGM and we monitored their uh, time and range, one of the more remarkable findings was that days in which they did their study videos, just, just 30 minutes of exercise, they achieved an 80% time and range, which is incredible. Uh, days that they didn't do exercise there, 
time and range was sitting at around uh, 72%. So that's a big jump in percent time and range with just 30 minutes of exercise. It was a pretty active cohort of individuals. So maybe this doesn't apply to all individuals living with type 1, but it was eye-opening to see that you can really improve your time and range with just a little bit of committed and structured exercise. And it doesn't really matter whether it's aerobic, resistance, or high-intensity interval training. They all work much the same. And it worked well in patients on MDI. It worked well in patients on standard insulin pumps. And it also worked very well on patients who were using hybrid closed-loop insulin delivery devices, which I thought was quite fascinating. I think it's a fantastic study and congratulations because over the years when our patients with type 1 diabetes would ask, will regular exercise actually improve my glycemic control? Uh, we said, you know, maybe it will. Uh, certainly has cardiovascular uh, benefits, but now more and more our patients are using CGM and we can definitely tell them based on uh, this study you just described that uh, you can expect an improvement in time and range. That's clinically significant because every 5% improvement in time and range is considered clinically important. So I'd like to finish up on uh, the use of second generation basal analogs related to exercise and type 1 diabetes. Uh, uh, more and more of our patients are on pumps now, but we still have a you know, large cohort of people with type 1 diabetes on MDI. And we've kind of shifted gears over the recent years and started to use the second generation basal analogs like Glargine U300 or Degladec, but there's been really very little data comparing these two newer second generation insulins and the effect in exercise in type 1 diabetes. So at the ADA, there was this really uh, elegant, what I think was a, a very well done study called the Ultra Flexi 1 study. And uh, maybe you can finish up our conversation today and tell us uh, what were they looking at in this study? and What did they actually find? Yeah, I was fascinated by this study. It's certainly not one of my studies, but it's a group that I follow quite closely um, in Europe under the leadership of, of Dr. Otmar Moser. What they found is that patients who were living with type 1 diabetes who were on these ultra-long-acting insulins, um, we know them, I think, by their trade names to J.O. or Traceba, the these insulins uh, we, we thought might be associated with a little bit more hypoglycemia if you were very physically active because you can't typically titrate them down or we didn't think you could titrate them down for active days. But in fact, these researchers showed quite nicely that there's not a lot of hypoglycemia if you titrate these insulins down by about 20% on your active days. They were seeing, it's, correct me if I'm wrong, uh, Ron, but I think they were seeing around 4% time below range when when they didn't titrate them down. And then if they titrated them down, they were seeing, you know, two, 3% time below range uh, in a 24-hour period after exercise, which I think is very impressive. Some of the studies we saw in the past saw that you'd have quite a bit of hypoglycemia in recovery from exercise, maybe 6% time below range. But when you use these uh, ultra-long acting insulins, we're not seeing such high time below range, which I think shows that these insulins are quite safe for exercise and they can be reduced a little bit on active days. I think it's a fascinating uh, emerging area of research. Yeah, I agree. I mean, that, yeah, two and a half to four percent time below range uh, over a two-week period with regular exercise is, you know, pretty yeah. pretty reassuring. But I, they also compared not adjusting your baseline Glargine U three hundred to not adjusting your Degladec. So they stayed on the same 
usual dose, despite getting exercise six, uh, I think six days out of 14 days. And uh, it's interesting, what they found is that the time below range was actually much lower with Glargine U300 at the usual dose compared to Degladex. So my take home from that is, you know, maybe we'd be more likely to tell patients if they know they're going to be embarking on some regular exercise to cut back their Degladex a little bit to minimize hypoglycemia, but not necessarily have to do that with the Glargine U300. So I, that was a little nice take-home piece from that uh, presentation as well. Yeah, I was very impressed by that result. And I think if we could reproduce that in a larger data set, that'd be something that we could incorporate into guidelines. Like maybe that, that form of insulin is quite safe for active days without the need really to lower that, to lower that dose. Okay, well, we've come to the end of our podcast. And again, thank you, uh, Dr. Riddell, for joining us today. We uh, get a top-line excellent summary of all the key issues related to exercise and type 1 diabetes. Uh, thanks for listening to the Diving Into Diabetes podcast. We hope you enjoyed our deep dive into exercise related to type 1 diabetes. Please don't forget to subscribe to our podcast on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts, and stay tuned for new releases.